You're listening to the Empowering Process Podcast with your host, Gail Kraft. Listen as she holds frank discussions around how your purpose, being present, and trusting your power impacts your life. Whether you're an entrepreneur, leader, or developing your vision, you'll find wisdom and insights you can utilize right now. Welcome your host, Gail Kraft. Hello, everybody. Gail Craft here from the Empowering Process podcast. And I have with me an amazing man who has been in the business of helping people elevate themselves for many years. And this is Phil Johnson. Phil is dedicated to helping individuals and organizations understand the value and importance of emotional intelligence. EI, very, very interesting subject. He is the founder of Master of Business Leadership Program. And for the past 21 years, he has been an executive coach. MBL, which is the Master of Business Leadership alumni live in the US, Canada, UK, Europe, Japan. They're around the world and they generate career revenues of over $1.5 billion. And Phil has been part of helping them do this in a much more, I would say organic way. Emotional intelligence is to me a way of getting past your ego and really tapping into a calmer part of who you are. So welcome, Phil. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. Thanks, Gail. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Oh, it's going to be so much fun. Um, so I have a little EI story. I think I told it to you um, that I want to share with everybody. And, um, and, it's, and it's kind of interesting. There is a test that you can take, um, probably many at this point, but we're going back, oh, maybe 20 years ago. Um, I took an online EI test with my leadership team in this company that I work for. And um, I scored above average. And after we all got our scores, we went to an offsite retreat where the facilitators were going to talk about what do the score, scores mean? How do you raise your scores? And, and how do you interact with one another knowing what the scores are? And as I showed up, my leadership team, those who I reported to, were arguing with the facilitators about the score they got come to find out their score was about half of what mine was. I had many issues with that company. <laughs> there was no communication. And, and so knowing what your score is, knowing where that is actually helps you identify where you have challenges with communicating, where you have challenges with listening, where you have challenges with actually stepping back and taking a look at a bigger picture. So tell us a little bit about EI, Phil, and um, maybe a story of how you got into it, why you got into it, and, and how you use it. Uh, well, I was born with dyslexia, and uh, because my brain doesn't work the way most people's brains work, it forced me to do a lot of what I now refer to as emotional labor. Think of it like a blind person that develops great hearing as a, as a compensation. Um, I've been on this path for the last 54 years. 
Um, I'm, I'm 68, so I've been on this path for some time. Um, what is emotional intelligence? Emotional intelligence is something that anyone can develop. It's an experiential process and anybody can develop their emotional intelligence um, by doing the emotional labor uh, of leaving their comfort zone and moving through the anxiety that creates towards some desired result that's more important to them than their fear and the anxiety that 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 creates in them. Um, in that process, um, you become less resistive, less judgmental, less attached to outcome, and you become more conscious of what's going on in you and around you. You become a more inspirational leader as well. So all three of these emotional intelligence, greater awareness and inspirational leadership are the result of doing the emotional labor required. And why it's important, especially now and throughout the balance of this century, is that uh, change, is ex change is accelerating at an exponential rate. And we've got a 500 million year old brain that doesn't like change. Um, so as an analogy, if you think of if you think of your amygdala, it's part of our old lizard brain that never wants us to leave the safety of our comfort zone. If you think of your amygdala as a very frightened four-year-old child, uh, the development of our emotional intelligence acts like a big brother or a big sister to quiet the amygdala response down and better enable us to feel the anxiety that changing innovation always creates in us and move through it towards what we're trying to achieve as opposed to allowing that anxiety to keep us stuck in our comfort zone. So we're all being ripped out of our comfort zones, whether we like it or not. And um, the development of our emotional intelligence is an essential part of our development that we never got that we need now more than ever. Our education, quite frankly, our educational system and our employment system has failed us dramatically. They failed to prepare us um, for the world we're living in now and the world we're going to be living in uh, as time goes on. Totally, totally agree. Um, you know, one of the, the things, I also am dyslexic, so I think I have Congratulations. This, oh my goodness. You know, I, yes. And, and you're right. You develop uh, compensating tools, right. Uh, in order to, to deal with that. And I learned that in school, I was told labeled as not being smart, right. I wouldn't say stupid, but not being smart, even though I'd get straight A's. Right. But um, it was a struggle to do that because I numbers were dyslexic. Were, I would see words that, you know, were backwards. I could read upside down, all of that kind of, you know, beautiful stuff. Hey, can I jump in and ask you a personal question? You may. Um, do you find your dyslexia affects your hearing as well sometimes? Yes. Yes. Yeah, so do I. Yes, because I, I right, because I'm still interpreting with the same brain, right? Right. Um, and so I'll hear words that aren't said. That's why I record my sessions. <laughs> right. It really, it really does help. Um, 
But what's interesting is that the, the innovation, the creativity, um, and the, the changing, the ever increasing changing world, I think that I, and probably you, adapt well because I've had to live a life of adapting. Mm -hmm. So I trained myself to adapt quickly because I would have to, first of all, look at something quickly more than once to verify, did I really see that? Did I really see that? Did I really see that? Um, in order to respond, yeah. right? Um, but EI, I, I love, I love using this process in my coaching. It, 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 that's what my coaching is all about. It's, you know, let's step away from judgment. Let's step away from expectations. Let's step away from turning away from the pain, right? And really embrace who you are and embrace other people as to who they are, right? Mm -hmm. um, because things are changing so quickly that your reality in this minute is not going to be the same as your reality two minutes from now. That's a fact. That's a fact. So, <laughs> so tell us about, um, so, so you stepped into emotional intelligence as, um, as an accident or was it a tool that you used with your dyslexia or oh, both? Pure accident, mm -hmm. pure accident. And as a matter of fact, I can tell you and I've told this to a lot of other people that if I hadn't had the good fortune of being born with dyslexia, I failed grade three and I failed grade five. Uh, back in those days, there was no such thing as dyslexia or ADD or ADHD. You were just labeled a slow learner. Um, but if I hadn't been born with dyslexia, I guarantee you that I would not have been willing to do the emotional labor um, that enables me to do what I do today. And so I, it's kind of like, it's kind of like going to the dentist. You'd never go to a dentist unless you were either in pain or trying to avoid pain. And um, the emotional labor required to develop our emotional intelligence is extremely difficult. Um, it's like Navy SEAL training for your emotions. Uh, and there's only, there's, only, let me, there's only two sources of motivation that will cause us to, to leave our comfort zone. One is pain and the other one is passion. And hardly anybody's connected to their passion. So for the most part, people that are motivated to change are motivated by pain. They're motivated by an urgent desire for better results than they're currently getting. Um, so what I, would, what I would tell our listeners um, is because of the accelerating rate of change, the exponentially accelerating rate of change, and the fact that biologically we have a 500 million year old brain, we have a brain that operates very much like it did 500 million years ago. Um, they really need to be developing their emotional intelligence as a way of dealing with the, the fear and anxiety that these changes will create in us. That fear and anxiety is unavoidable. It's baked in, it's biological. Um, and we really need to be developing our emotional intelligence uh, 
in order for us to be able to navigate our way through, through that fear and anxiety. And in doing that, uh, we can reduce the drama, chaos, and conflict going on in us and around us. Yes, I love that, to reduce the, the drama, chaos, and conflict, um, much of which we create ourselves because we're not dealing with our own emotions, right? Um, and, and I love the fact that you, you said, you know, that we're going to have to deal with it, right? We don't get rid of it. Um, I talk sometimes about doing work on myself to get rid of the fear that I used to have. Now, so I can climb, I used to not be able to climb ladders, I can climb, I can do all kinds of things now. I didn't get rid of fear. I got rid of fear that was not in proportion to the event I was in. Right? You, you can you I make want, a comment here? You can absolutely. Can yes. Um, fear is not the enemy. No. Um, exactly. And we never actually get rid of fear. Right. What we need to do is we need to learn how to coexist with it and move through it so that it doesn't hold us back from achieving what it is we're passionate about achieving. Um, so fear is not the bad guy. Actually, fear and success are two sides of the same coin. You can't have success without fear, without failure. Um, but as we learn to, as we develop our emotional intelligence, um, as we learn to lower our walls and become less resistive, judgmental, attached outcome. We no longer look at failure as failure. We look at it as just information, as data on the way to achieving what it is we're, 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 we're motivated to achieve. Like Thomas Edison inventing the light, light bulb, 1800 experiments to invent a light bulb. And somebody said, Jesus, Tommy, that's a lot of failure. He said, well, no, no, it wasn't. He says, I just, I just learned 1,799 ways not to make a light bulb. It was always about making a light bulb. I didn't know how long, I didn't know what it was going to take, how long it was going to take. Um, see, but when we stop looking at things in terms of success or failure, our ego-based fears lose its control over us. And we're able to be more objective about what's going on in us and around us. Right. And that's all as a, that's all as a, conse a consequence of going through this emotional labor journey. Right, right. And, it, and it is a journey, right? Um, because there's always, always something that comes up. I, lo I love what you said with coexisting with fear. One of the things that I work on as well on myself, and you know, if I say I'm working with my clients, I don't work with them without also working on me, right? Um, I don't ask them to do anything. They don't walk through any fire I haven't already walked through. <laughs> but we have, we have emotions for a reason. Our bodies are emotional transmitters, and it's giving us information. Right. And so it's learning with emotional intelligence to tap into those feelings and understand what are you telling me? Are you telling me stay in my comfort zone when I want to go over there? Thank you for telling me that. Not going to stay. 
going over there? Or are you telling me there's a landmine there, step to the right? Okay, I will step to the right. So you have to acknowledge it and then understand what is the message and is the rest message real or imagined. And in that way, you're becoming more conscious. Yes. Yes. So you're only conscious about three to 5% of the time. The rest of the time, <laughs> yeah, the rest of the time we're relying on our habits uh, deter to determine our behavior and our results. So part of this process is not only our level, we, we cannot obtain results that are better than our current level of consciousness. If we want better results, we need to raise our level of consciousness. And we do that by developing better habits. And the development of better habits requires us to leave our comfort zone. We can, we can develop new habits at any age. It's called brain plasticity or neurogenesis. But developing those neural network pathways in our brain requires us to leave our comfort zone and go through the anxiety that that creates in us. Both physically and emotionally, right? Because it is a physical thing. You are creating pathways in your brain, right? Um, and so you'll have that physical resistance. You are changing the messages in your body. So there's physical resistance. And then there's the emotional fear of, well, what will I become? I'll, I'll, tell, you, I'll tell you a story, Phil, because um, you know, I never really acknowledged fear in my life um, until I was at a motivational event. I did one of the exercises. And so, so, you know, what did you learn? And it, and it was, you know, what are you afraid of? And so I said, well, I'm afraid of losing friends as I, I saw myself changing. And I knew that my relationship with my friends just wasn't, we, we couldn't even talk the same language anymore. And that was getting exponentially bigger, that gap. And the speaker said, so you have a fear of success. And I almost fell off my chair. And I said, no, I, and then I stopped. I went, holy crap, you're right. Because if I succeed on the path that I'm on and I've chosen to be on, then I'm going to lose my friends. And so, and so making those, that was my first slap in the face of pay attention and ask yourself more than one question, right? To, to get your answers. I would suggest, and, and you're right, um, as we evolve, as we become more emotionally intelligent, um, our relationships change with people. Um, and it has to actually do with energy physics. Um, but some people will be scared away. And some people um, that are more emotionally intelligent, more authentic, will be attracted to you. Um, Let me, uh, let me just take a couple of minutes and just explain what I mean by energy physics and how that relates to all of this. Please do, I love it. Um, and actually, this is the root cause. What I'm about to say is the root cause of all drama, chaos, and conflict everywhere. When we're born, we're not born with a conscious mind. Our consciousness doesn't 
start until we're about a year or so old. But we are born with a, a very powerful unconscious mind. And we immediately start creating the, the, the habits, the neural network pathways in our brain that to enable us to survive, to fit in, um, get nutrition, get food, et cetera. Um, and a lot of those habits that we're unconsciously creating are what I refer to as, they're habits that cause us to give away our energy unconsciously. I refer to them as victim habits. And we do it in a myriad of ways. Uh, how we communicate, listen, take responsibility, make decisions, all sorts of ways. But what happens is when we're unconsciously giving away our energy, it creates an energy deficit in us. So at the same time, we're, we're giving away our energy. On the one hand, we're also trying to replace that energy by stealing the energy of other people on the other hand. And that dynamic of unconsciously giving away and stealing other people's energy is going on inside of everybody, everywhere, all over the world, all the time. So what I do in the MBL program is I show people how they're giving away their energy. And I give them better habits to practice to stop doing that. And when they stop giving away their energy, the need to steal the energy of other people goes away. And it's in that process that we develop our emotional intelligence, become more inspirational leaders and raise our level of consciousness. But here's the thing I want to say about what you mentioned just now. What a, victims travel in packs. They have a, they, victims can't exist in isolation. Um, they travel in, they have a codependent relationship where they're, constantly stealing each other's energy, giving away and stealing each other's energy. Um, so, they, so they need to be around other people like that, but they don't like each other, they don't trust each other, and they can never lower their walls around each other, but they need each other. Um, so as you learn to lower your walls, as you learn to stop giving away your energy, and as you learn to... Um, become more inspirational, what happens is actually some, some of the people, some of the victims, you're teaching people that you're not going to give them your energy anymore and you're not going to steal theirs. And that will repel some people and it will, it will attract others. You will become a more inspirational leader because unconsciously they're beginning to realize that they can lower their walls and be more, uh, more like who they truly are around you than they can be around their victim buddies. See, we have these specialized brain cells in the prefrontal cortex of our brain that brain scientists call mirror neurons. We've had to develop the, the ability because we've grown up in society, because we've grown up in herds, tribes, um, We've had to develop the ability to sense whether somebody's trying to help us or eat us. Um, that's why when you walk, you can walk into a room and sense the energy in the room. You can you can have a conversation with somebody and sense whether they're being real, whether they're being authentic or not. That's our mirror neurons. I I often refer to them as as bullshit meters. You can't you can't fake being authentic. Um, so that the more, the more you learn to lower your walls, the more 
people are going to be attracted to you because of the safety, because of the inspirational leadership um, that you demonstrate through your through your behavior. See, leadership really isn't a, it's not a title, uh, it's not a position. Everybody needs to be working on their leadership. If you need a title to get people to follow you, you're not a leader. Um, so as you, as you learn to lower your walls, uh, the ultimate kind of accreditation is um, your behavior will attract followers. You, your behavior will, that will attract people that want what you got. Uh, so that's the ultimate litmus test for the development of emotional intelligence. It creates, not only does it raise consciousness, but it, it develops inspirational followers. Absolutely, and, and you know, Phil, um, and sometimes it's difficult to stay on that path, you know, because oh, there are some relationships like family um, mm -hmm. that you still stay connected with, though I will tell you, I'm not connected with much of my family mm -hmm. anymore. Um, but I have had the pleasure, and this is what happens when you go on this journey and you start to model the behavior that you talk about, right? Um, a few things happened over the past two years. One of them was I got back into shape. I started working out. I started paying more attention to what I was eat, eating. I started paying more attention to what my mind was doing. I started paying more attention to my language. Um, I paid more attention to not owning what not was not mine and would say, mm, no, I don't own that, right? And walk away or yes, I do own that. Okay, let's talk about it, right? What ended up happening is my daughter is now on the same path rather than because there was resistance there for a while and I, and I had to, that's her journey. This is mine. I have to leave her alone. This is mine right? Because we live in the same household. And she, like you said, she had a serious painful experience where she was, she couldn't stop crying for days. But because of that painful experience, she started going down the path of, okay, what do I own in this? And what do I not own in this? And it's a beautiful thing to watch someone calm down you say it's a painful process and it is painful to face yourself but <clears throat> the calm you feel afterwards is so worth it yep. right yep yeah the um many times the people i coach um as they're going through this program they're going holy smokes this is incredible this is amazing um And I said, yeah, I know. I said, then I asked him, I said, is there anything I could have said to you in the beginning that could have prepared you for what you know now? And every person says, no, there's nothing you could have told me that could have, that could have enabled me to understand the value, of import, value and importance of emotional intelligence. See, that's what differentiates the emotional intelligence from intellectual intelligence. Um, the development of emotional intelligence is an experiential process. 
as opposed to an intellectual process. That means you can't develop emotional intelligence by having a conversation or reading a book or watching a video. Um, and the ROI is massive. Let, let, me give you a, let me give you an example. Let's think of intellectual intelligence um, as getting $10,000 a day for 31 days. So at the end of 31 days, you've got $310,000. Think of emotional intelligence as getting a penny a day that doubles in value. So at the end of 31 days, you've got $10.7 million. And actually at the end of 40 days, you've got over 5 billion. And at the end of 50 days, you've got over 5 trillion. But the point is that it doesn't take any more effort to go from day 30 to day 31 than it does to go from day one to day two. But it's a journey, it's a building process. So in the beginning, it looks like you're doing a lot of work, a lot of emotional labor for little. And you are because you don't know what you don't know. Later on, it looks like you're doing a little emotional labor for a lot, and you are, but it's because of this building process. Um, so there are individuals and organizations I've been working with for over, well, over 13 years now, because the ROI keeps getting greater and greater and greater and greater as they work on these habits that they learn in the MBL program. It's, it's compounded um, interest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and here's the thing. We re- even though the development of emotional intelligence is difficult, we really don't have a choice. Because of the accelerating rate of global change, there's a, there's a critical piece of our development that's missing, and that's that's our emotional intelligence. Um, we should have been taught this stuff from birth. Um, we're going to, the development of our emotional intelligence isn't a solution to the challenges we face. It's the only solution to the challenges we face. And the longer we wait to develop it, the more pain we're gonna experience. And unfortunately, for the majority of us, that's what it's gonna take. Uh, We're going to resist and resist and resist and resist until we're in so much pain that we're willing to do anything to remove the pain. And my real concern isn't that people are, the emotional intelligence, emotional intelligence is going to become a multi-trillion dollar industry for sure, guaranteed. My real concern is it takes time to develop. And time is not our friend. Because of the accelerated rate of global change, we really need to get on this as individuals and organizations now and make the investment of developing our emotional intelligence now. Because if we wait until we're in so much pain that we're willing to do anything, we may not have enough time left. I really think we're at a tipping point as a species on the planet. Uh, The challenges we're facing 
really require our emotional intelligence. So we should really, let me give you an example. I'll give you an example of a company that's doing over a trillion dollars a year in revenue. And their primary hiring promotion and development focus is on emotional intelligence. That company is Apple. Apple's whole hiring process, they're looking for people with above average levels of emotional intelligence. They're far less concerned about what you know about their products and services. Um, they can teach you that, but the more difficult attribute is emotional intelligence. That's why when you walk into an Apple store, that energy you feel is an example of a more emotionally intelligent environment. They're not trying to sell you anything. Uh, they want to try and understand your pain and, if possible, serve you. They want you to have a great experience. Whether you buy anything or not is secondary. People go so in there and just go, hang out. Yeah, maybe you'll go away. You'll tell your friends and they'll tell their friends. So that's that energy that that culture, that environment is creating. It's a very different energy from the stores around it. Right. One of the things that Steve Jobs did have, um, it's called an infinite mission statement. He had an infinite vision. And what that means, I've got one after um, studying that a little bit. It's not ever achievable, but it's, it, it's ergonomic and it's for the good of the greater good, right? It's not personal good, it's a greater good. And it's not ever going to be 100% achieved because it's always out there. It's always out that's there. A, that's a great point. Um, see, our focus, we need to have a, a vision of a desired result, but then we need to come back and focus on the present moment. We need to focus on how we're showing up in this moment. Uh, so we really, we really need both. Right. Um, and it's not about, it's about the journey. It's not about the outcome. Right, because the outcome will come. The, the, outcome I, will be I, what, the outcome will be what it'll be. It'll be what, it, what it'll be. I've, I've spent my whole life not being concerned about the outcome. And I can remember my first job as a manager, my boss saying to me, how did you know that would work? And I'd be because I just felt it. And yep. he couldn't understand that I didn't crunch yep. numbers and, and do you know forecasts and all this stuff. Sure. Sure. And, um, you know, I was, I was fortunate that I didn't have an education. Yep. I didn't have a college degree telling me what you're supposed to do. I went purely by instinct. This felt right. This didn't feel right. I need to reconfigure the team. This didn't feel right. We need to change that flow, right? It was, it was how it felt in the moment. And that's amazing. You're, you're describing the difference between knowing something intellectually and knowing something emotionally. Right. You ever, you ever heard the saying, people are hired for their IQ and experience and they're fired for a lack of emotional intelligence? Uh, yes. So um, there's another saying, when, when all you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Huh? Yeah. If your educational employment system has focused on your ability to do intellectual labor, if that's how you've been rewarded throughout your life, that's how you try to solve every problem. So unfortunately, with people that typically tend to have high IQs, have low EQs, 
because when they get scared, they run to their strength and away from their weakness. So we see many industries um, that are very toxic with loaded with folks that are very bright intellectually, but they lack the emotional intelligence to create higher levels of engagement. Current level of employee engagement worldwide, according to Gallup, is about 13%. Low levels of employee engagement in the US alone are costing over a trillion dollars a year. What that means is the environments are toxic. People don't feel safe to take risk. They don't feel safe to leave their comfort zone. And especially in the times we're living now when changes change is occurring so rapidly, the unwillingness to take risk is a death sentence. And we're loaded with organizations and position-based power leaders that are feeding into that toxicity every day. I was very fortunate in my first few jobs to have environments where, first of all, I had mentors, which was, you know, unusual for women to have mentors. And I had very brilliant mentors. I mean, they were amazing. Um, but I also had the freedom like that job I was telling you about where I could do what I felt was right because I had a success rate. That's yeah. they were looking at the bottom line, absolutely looking at the bottom line. And I attributed Gail can get shit happening. And I didn't do the work. My team did. Yeah. Right. But I took care of the team. Right. They were the most important thing to me. Right. Nothing else. My boss, you know, my boss could tell, I can remember having an argument with one telling me, this is what I want you to do this week. And I looked at him and said, no, that's not what needs to be done this week. And he's like, well, I'm telling you what to do. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going yeah. to do what needs to be done this week. Right. That can wait. I had a, <laughs> I had a similar situation in my corporate career. Um, yeah, they, they liked the result, but they didn't understand the process. Right, right. See, people can only obtain results to their level of consciousness. So they eventually use their position-based power to try and take over. Right, right. And it didn't work. Nope, 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 no. So yeah, so yeah, sometimes, well, let me tell the story. It came up. So the last corporate job that I had was a very, very bad fit. And I had a vice president come to me and ask me to run a program that he had, like a program I had just successfully implemented. And that process, apparently they tried to get up and running for like five years and I came on and it was done in six months. Again, well, this doesn't make sense. You need to be there. You need to be there. You guys need to be talking and I don't do anything. That's your job. Do your job. <laughs> that was it, <laughs> right? Um, in the process, he insisted on micromanaging by project plan. And I would write a project plan and never look at it again. And he was micromanaging every step of the way. And yet he had asked me to implement what like I had implemented before. And it just didn't work. Let me run something by you. Let's just, just let's just take the macro view here. Yes. The 30,000 foot view of 
the world in which we live. If the model we work under mistakenly views power as external, something you've got to go get, you're not enough. Doesn't it stand to reason that the people that are successes within the definition of that model are the most wrong? So if we take, just if we look around at the world, if we look around at the results we're getting, we killed more people in the 20th century than all of recorded human history. And we're not doing too well this century. We're, we've got huge challenges, climate change, AI, CRISPR-Cas9 genetic technology, other, other pandemics. 80% of organizational change not being effective. Whatever we've been doing, following that model that views power as, as external, following that win-lose model, following that ego-based model, whatever we've been doing isn't working. It, it was an experiment and it failed. Right, driven by, ego driven by our ego-based fear. So what will work is by viewing power as internal and doing the emotional labor of connecting with our internal source of power so that we become more inspirational leaders, so that we inspire higher levels of engagement and far better results than we're currently getting. That's the, that's the, that's the, that's the real model that works. Right. That's the model we've got to be moving towards. Right. Unfortunately, it's probably going to take a catastrophic event to motivate most of us to start moving in that direction. And that creates, Mark Twain once said a long time ago, he said, if the only way mankind can learn is through experience, I see no hope for mankind. If the only way we can learn is by putting our hand on the stove, that assumes that we're going to be around to learn from it. And a number of the things we're dealing with, you don't get a do-over. You've got to get it right the first time. You've got to have the, the awareness, the, the emotional intelligence to make better decisions without putting your hand on the stove. I love that analogy. That, that really is is true and part of what comes out of this type of work is you start to trust your yourself you start to trust your instinct um i really never made decisions ever based on data i would use data to defend my choices if i had to but my, I was always instinctively saying, this is what we need to do. This is where we need to go because it just made sense. It felt right. Let me make two comments, if you don't mind. Do, um, all purchasing decisions are emotional decisions. They're made in the limbic part of our brain. After we've made the decision emotionally, then we look for features and benefits to justify the decision we've already made intellectually. Uh, the second thing I wanna say is there's something called the trust economy that's growing much faster than the old traditional economy. Uh, 
its current estimated value is over $10 trillion a year, which if it were an economy would make it one of the largest countries in the world. What that means is that because things are changing so quickly, so rapidly, we can't keep up. So we're relying more and more on our network of trusted advisors to help us make choices. So your network of trusted advisors is the most valuable asset you have, both as an individual and as an organization. And the way you develop that network is by learning to lower your walls, by demonstrating your trustability. And see, the thing is, here's another little fun fact for you. Because of our biology, uh, we tend to err on, we tend to focus more on things that may want to hurt us than help us. What that means is we tend to burn trust five to seven times faster than we can earn trust. So what that means is if our walls are up just 15% of the time, we're actually damaging the relationships with the people we're trying to, trying to serve. So this all comes back to emotional intelligence. It all comes back to learning to stop giving away our energy. So the ROI in practicing these habits and developing and mastering these habits is massive. It's massive, but it is not easy. Uh, you know, the really saving grace in all of this is that as the rate of change continues to accelerate, it's going to become more and more apparent that we don't have a choice. So that we don't have a choice whether or not we develop our emotional intelligence. Um, and even though it is difficult, um, we have to make the investment in ourselves and in our organizations to do the emotional labor that requires. Yes, absolutely. Um, I am surprised that there aren't more people running to the coaches, running to the mentors who you resonate with. Yeah, right? what happens is, um, you know, what will happen is it'll, it'll hockey stick. It's kind of like um, for several decades now, We've been, we've been building and then it's gonna reach a tipping point and then it's gonna become acceptable socially and then it's gonna go like this. And it's gonna happen seemingly overnight. Um, so there's no question. I mean, often people ask me if I have any advice kind of parting words of advice. And it's always the same thing. Invest, bet on yourself by developing your emotional intelligence. Bet on yourself now by starting the process of developing your emotional intelligence. I guarantee you, I guarantee you that it will make the rest of your life the best of your life, not only in your career, but in your personal life as well, guaranteed. It, it, it's in every choice that you make. I call it making conscious choices, but it's not egoic cho choices, right? It's choices that feel like they make sense. That's being conscious, is being aware of how you feel and tuning into that. 
So Phil, how can people get in touch with you if they want to know more and maybe uh, learn a little bit about your program and maybe even hire you? Um, the best way to reach me is through my LinkedIn profile. I've got a, um, a link to my calendar on there and I'd be happy to uh, set up a Zoom chat with anybody that would like to uh, like to talk, like to meet. Um, yeah, that's, that's and they may want to subscribe to my newsletter. I started a newsletter about five, a newsletter on LinkedIn uh, called the MBL newsletter. Um, and there's all already close to 5,000 subscribers, which, which I really like. It's, I publish it every day. So that's a, that's a way of connecting as well. Absolutely. And I'll have that link and that information in the write-up so people can go and, and grab it. So thank you again, Phil. Emotional intelligence. Uh, this is something that I could talk about forever. It really is at the heart of what a good coach is all about. Uh, helping you tap into the calm that's you and do the work, helping you do the work. And so this is Gail Kraft from the Empowering Process podcast. Thank you for listening. If there's something that kind of brought something up for you, put a comment. Maybe Phil and I will get back together and talk about that. Or if you know someone who could maybe benefit from this, share it out to them. But I'll always, always, always like it, subscribe, Share it. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Phil. Thank you for listening to the Empowering Process Podcast. Be sure to visit Gail at gailcraft.com to learn more about how she serves thought leaders, entrepreneurs, and goal seekers. And remember, if you like this broadcast, be sure to share and subscribe so you don't miss an episode.